0: Looking back on some of the key events in my life, it all looks so easy. I assure you, it did not seem easy at the time. Each of the major choices was accompanied by a great deal of anxiety and torment. Seeking, searching, questioning, and worrying through sleepless nights and doubting days. I'd struggled with my vocation, choice of a school, selecting a wife, and responding to a variety of callings from youth work to civil rights to Congress, to the United Nations, to mayor of Atlanta. I worried about the details and decisions that go with such choices. Gradually, I developed a depth of faith and religious insight that comes from knowing that God is present with me in life. This is my Black Book Journal. What's up, y'all, and welcome to another episode of My Black Book Journal. Look, really quickly, I want to give you all the purpose of My Black Book Journal, and that is to explore black stories through book reviews and interviews to uncover lessons in life, love, and leadership. We really seek to do this through a gospel-centered perspective that is unapologetically black and unashamedly Christian. We believe at My Black Book Journal that the stories and experiences of black people matter. And we desire to show the world how black people have contributed and continue to contribute to the changing and shaping of society and culture. So if you're listening to this and when you listen to it, you say, man, I really have longed to learn from black leaders. This podcast is for you. If you're seeking to really kind of take a deep dive into black culture and take a deep dive into black books and books written about black people and books on black people and the stories, their history. That And I understand you all. And when I say that, um, I know that black people and blackness is not a monolith. But if you want to go deeper and want to learn more, this podcast is for you. And I want to celebrate Black History Month by doing something with this new podcast. I want to give away a a new book, a recently released by Jamar Tisby called How to Fight Racism. It's a great book with really good steps on how to go about being an anti-racist. So if you're interested in this book this is what you have to do to qualify. I want you to rate us on whatever you listen to, whatever platform it is you listen to this podcast. Give us a rate. Um, and then also leave a comment and then shoot me a message at Danny B. That's Danny B at actjustlylovemercy.org. Again, rate us, leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to, then shoot me an email letting me know you did those things at Danny B, D A N N Y, the letter B at actjustlylovemercy.org. I'm looking forward to hearing from you all. Look, I know that some of you all are out there listening. Many of you all are out there listening. Thank you so much for listening. Super grateful for all of you. All right, y'all, let's jump in today's show. Uh, The quote that I read to open this show came from Andrew Young's book, A Way Out of No Way, the spiritual memoirs of Andrew Young. And I first came across his book a few years ago at a library book sale where they were just getting rid of old books and I saw it, I immediately put it in my bag to purchase it. And I was so grateful that I did because I actually started reading this book last year at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and Andrew Young has so much to say to us. Many of us know who Andrew Young is, but few of us actually know what Andrew Young stood for. So let's just kind of go over what we know. Um, Well, we know that Andrew Young was the chief of staff for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference under Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership. We also know that he was elected as a United States congressman from the state of Georgia and that he was the first black person appointed to serve as the U.S. ambassador for the United Nations and that he served two terms as mayor of Atlanta. But there was so much about this man that I didn't know. And this book helped me not just to know the positions that he held, but to get to know the young man growing up in New Orleans. The young man who attended college at the age of 15, who attended seminary at the age of 19 and who served in relative obscurity as a pastor and later as a youth worker in the United Church of Christ denomination. Y'all. In his opening pages, Andrew Young really takes some time to reflect on the outcome and meaning of his life and the changes that he and his generation were able to bring about. He says this. I don't believe that these changes are accidental. The spontaneous generation of order out of chaos. These changes are evolved through the actions of people, people of faith who courageously responded to the conflict, chaos and hatred around them with a mysterious but magnificent faith. Yo, it's amazing that in his musing on how change is made, he states clearly why he offers this memoir of his life and his faith to us. He says, hopefully this book will offer a few clues on how to follow the spirit and read the signs of the times in your life. The signs we need are always present, but too often we think we already know where we are going and reject the designated route. As I took time to really think about that, I thought about how important it is to learn from those who have gone before us and the real danger of mimicking them. Now, he talks about not rejecting those designated routes. And I thought about how we must learn from those who came before us. But to try and replicate their actions, lives and decisions can lead to frustration and resentment. And instead of reading biographies and autobiographies and memoirs trying to find some ancient path to walk in, we should view these figures more as mentors and guides along our individual and communal journeys. They are helping us to see the world as it is and imagine the world as we would like for it to be. They assist us in seeing how our lives can make a lasting impact and the need for a community that encourages, inspires, teaches, rebukes and nurses our wounds while all the time encouraging us to get back out there and keep up the fight. This is what Ambassador Andrew Young is trying to do for us in his memoir. He attempts to inspire us to live a life of courage and change and to believe that ultimately our lives are not our own but that we are tools in the hands of the master being used to bring about his kingdom and his purposes, looking to further the cause of justice, righteousness, and be peacemakers, which are all major themes in his book. Look, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back and dive even more into this book. I'll see you all in a second. what's up y'all we're back and we're going to dive into the section of his book where he really talks about his decisions but more so the process of his calling and he says i have found that when god calls anyone to a task there is usually a larger plan of which any one person is only a small but significant part the way is already prepared there are problems and challenges to be faced but These are often there to help us grow stronger. Man, this is this is a point that in his writing, Ambassador Andrew Young makes absolutely clear. He seeks to diligently show how his life is based on a series of decisions that he made, but not only the decision that he made, but decisions that other people made in generations before he was even thought of. One way he really tries to bring this point out is he speaks of the American Missionary Association or AMA. He, he talks about the significance that this organization played in his life and that it played in the black community. So the AMA, the uh, American Missionary Association, um, was founded in 1846 by Congregationalist churches in New England for uh, the abolishment of slavery to educate freed slaves and to further the Christian faith. The AMA had a racially diverse leadership structure. And after the end of the Civil War, during the time of reconstruction, built schools such as Fisk University, Hampton Institute, Dillard University, Talladega College and Howard University with the help of the Freedmen's Bureau. The AMA's work also helped to plant hundreds of churches and started countless schools, for black children across the south. Y'all, when I think of that, I really I got I got to pause there and reflect on how organizations like the American Missionary Association had such a profound impact on providing opportunities for black people because because that's what Andrew Young does. He, he 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 throughout his story, he intertwines um how how he was able to do the things that he felt called to Only because of 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 those who had gone before him and only because of the assistance and help of those who were on the journey with him. And as I thought about that, I asked myself the question, like, where are the organizations that are following in the AMA's legacy? Where are those majority white organizations, churches, denominations that are fighting for racial justice? Not only with their lips, but with their lives and resources. Where are those Christians, white Christians, black Christians, who are willing to do the unpopular and move towards reckoning with a brutal American history that has resulted in gross inequity? Where are the people who are willing to advocate for the restitution of stolen property and land? Where are the people who are willing to submit to the leadership of black pastors and leaders and deal with the painful experiences that many black people have endured in majority white spaces to have real reconciliation? Where are the Christians who are willing to think about the necessity to have a real substantive conversation around reparations without dismissing it out of hand and labeling those black Christians or white Christians who desire to have those conversations as socialists or cultural Marxists. In his book, The Color of Compromise, The Truth About the American Church's Complicity and Racism, Jamar Tisby recommends a few things that we can do to continue the fight towards racial justice. And here's a few of the things that he suggests. First, he says, become aware of the issues and the history by watching documentaries and reading books about the racial history of the United States. Diversify your social media feed by following racial and ethnic minorities. Access websites and podcasts created by racial and ethnic minorities (laughs) like this podcast right here. Shameless plug. Sorry, guys. Second thing he says you could do is interrupt ignorance by calling folks out on their stereotypes. Create a blog, write a book, teach a class, preach a sermon or an entire series of sermons that speak about racial justice. Join an organization that advocates for racial justice and social justice. Speak with candidates for elected office in your area and ask them about their views of racial justice and the policies they advocate on behalf of. And listen, he says, do this vote. Third thing says advocate for reparations. Take down Confederate monuments. Learn from the black church. Make Juneteenth a national holiday. Publicly denounce racism and support black organizations through philanthropy. These are just a few things that he recommends and suggests, but these are all things, many of which can, that can be done today. All of these things require some further exploration, but many are fairly simple to start doing right now. Look, that's why I said I really want to give away a copy of Jamar Tisby's newest book, um, How to Fight Racism, uh, because it it can help us learn a lot from Um, those who have gone before us and those who are currently in that fight and how we can really get engaged um, to really combat racism and be anti-racist in 2021. All right, y'all, I feel like that's a good time to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Welcome back, you guys. And so as we move to this final section, looking at Andrew Young's book, um, he he talks about building leaders and breaking down walls. He takes some time to reflect on his formation as a leader and all the things that he had to suffer through. He recalls a time where he traveled to St. Augustine, Florida, sent by Dr. Martin Luther King. And this is what he says. In the summer of 1964, the Civil Rights Act was being debated in the Congress and further demonstrations seemed unnecessary. The SELC strategy called for a careful marshalling of our limited resources and a deliberate selection of our points of confrontation. The national situation was moving along fairly well in the Congress. The Interreligious Council on Religion and Race had mobilized national religious bodies to support the Civil Rights Bill, and it seemed just a matter of time until the bill passed. How long could the traditional filibuster last? He asked. St. Augustine didn't seem to be necessary to our plan of action. So Martin sent me down there to wind the movement down gracefully and bring Hosea home. And Hosea, who he's talking about, is Hosea Williams, who was sent there to mobilize and add structure to the movement that was going on at that time in St. Augustine. And he he talks about when he gets there, he, he arrives actually at the church. And when he walks in, it's actually a bit of a setup because um, the the preacher at the time that was leading the mass meeting said that Reverend Andrew Young was going to lead them on a march. Now, it was late. Um, he did not come prepared to lead a march. And he's quite honest about the fact that he was more in the background. He preferred being in the background and not in the front leading. But he decided that these people had been pushed down and beat down so long that you can only have so much conflict without confrontation. And these people were in the process of doing what Dr. King often spoke about was straining their back up so that no man could ride their back. And so he decided at that Time say I'm going to okay I'm going to wind this movement down, but I'm going to lead this march. Hopefully, we won't have any problems. And so he reflects on that because what happens is he leads this late night march. They run into a group of men um, and who begin to violently beat um, Andrew Young. And he reflects on the the emotional and the physical. Pain that comes from that beating um, and how he really struggled with anti-violence or non-violence. He really struggled um, with this concept of not defending yourself when someone has attacked you so viciously. But he also reflects on the fact that the only way to bring about true um, change in the South was through non-violence. He speaks about the victories that they had, but also the suffering that they had to endure. Um, He reflects on the leadership that was built up um, through this suffering, but also through these victories, um, through their intentionality. And he says new leadership was developing. Weak, inadequate and imperfect as we are, we were learning that the power of God could empower each of us, even me, and that the grace of God was able to transform a country that had been racially divided for centuries. When I initially read this chapter, I wrote questions in the spaces between the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next. I asked myself the question, what does it mean to change the world? How can we as people change the world? When it seems that we can't even change ourselves, how can we do the work of self purification and world transformation? And and what I concluded was this, at least this is what I said. I want to be changed and I want the world to be transformed. As I contemplate my questions and my state of mind during that time, I think about my hopes and fears. Me as a husband, a father, a black man during that time in March of 2020, before the death of George Floyd and after Ahmaud Arbery had been murdered. During the beginning days of the pandemic where we were so uncertain and afraid. And now we look back that almost a year later, with over 450,000 people dead in a nation that is more fragile than when we first began, but maybe also more resilient. Uh, Then I remember how we were coming off the heels of a presidential impeachment. And now a year later, we're heading into another impeachment trial in the Senate, how the world's oldest democracy seemed threatened and fractured, while a new president, Currently sits in the Oval Office. Most people don't feel safer or more certain about the direction of our nation, but unsure, unsure when their lives might resemble something of normalcy, if that is even still possible. Many are asking the question when they'll be able to gather again without the threat of infecting one another, and when we'll we be rid of masks and social distancing, and when will we be able to enjoy the simple pleasures of going to the movie or hanging out at a ball game or going to grab something to eat with friends. They ask the question, "How long?" And even in the face of all that, so much change and movement is happening. Politicians are being forced to reckon with their words and actions. Communities are growing increasingly resilient in the response to the virus. People are hearing the call to start organizations, run for public office, educate others on the need to engage as Christians beyond the borders of their churches and denominations all while confronting racism and moving conversations about explicit and implicit bias and white supremacy to the forefront of our families, our communities and our institutions. People are rising up to see a more vibrant faith that refuses to hide behind walls, but seeks a more peaceful, more equitable, more righteous and a more just society. This hope is evident and clear. And while fear and pain are real, so is the hope that we feel. So is the calling to live and to see a world change while we ourselves are being transformed. I want to conclude with this quote by Andrew Young. He says, but one must never be deterred or distracted by fear or conspiracy theories. There is no virtue in documenting and proving beyond a shadow of a doubt the sin and insecurity of people and their institution. He goes on to say we need a democracy with enough freedom to challenge the inequities generated by sin wherever and however it manifests itself. He concludes there can be no democracy without truth. There can be no truth without controversy and there can be no change without freedom and without freedom there can be no progress. All right, y'all, that's all for this episode of My Black Book Journal. If you enjoyed what you heard, then rate us, review us, subscribe, so that you can get any updates in all the new episodes of My Black Book Journal. Just a quick note before we close out, I'm going to post every two weeks, so every other week, Uh, Look for a new episode of My Black Book Journal. Feel free to share it. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram. Share it with your friends. So grateful for so many of you all who have already listened. I'm looking forward to doing this. Um, I will see you next time. And remember, I'll be giving away a free copy of How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby. So all you have to do to enter to win that book is rate us, review us, and then send me an email at Danny B D A N N Y, the letter B, and act justly, org. I'm looking forward to hearing from you all. Until next week, we out.